Hey everyone, my name is Igal Adado and this is the Palm Leaders Podcast. A podcast to help you make more money, stress less, and live an epic life, all while working at the pawn shop. Hey, Pawn family, welcome back to another episode of the Pawn Leaders Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. If you haven't gone to join us on the Facebook group, the Pawn Leaders Podcast community, Go, go in there because we talk about the episodes, we talk about leadership, we talk about marketing, we talk about strategy, we talk about life all in the palmbroking world. And today I'm super excited to have with me uh, Jason Wilson, the owner of Riverside Pawn, who not only is a pawnbroker, but is an author who wrote a book called Brick and Mortar Isn't Dead. And I went through this book and it has some incredible, incredible value, especially for our industry. So Jason, welcome to the podcast, brother. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me, man. No, it's my pleasure. You know, I kind of, I think we met because I reached out to you on LinkedIn and then I saw that you were an author. So I went to Amazon and I said, wait a second, a pawnbroker who wrote a book about, you know, brick and mortar isn't dead. I got to have you on, especially in today's market with online. So thank you for taking the time. You've got seven stores, multiple employees. I know you're a busy man. So I appreciate you being on. Yeah, man. Anytime. Cool. So uh, let's get right into it. Tell us, a little about how you got into the pawnbroking world, how you became a pawnbroker. Yeah, so I'm 42 and I've basically been in the pawn business for about 20 years. Um, when I was 20, I just answered a local classified ad. Um, there was only one pawn shop in town, they were hiring. So I got a job there and um, worked there for, for four or five years and then just kind of branched out on my own after that. I wanted to own my own store. Uh, we opened up the first Riverside Pawn in 2004. So we're about to celebrate our, our 15 year anniversary there. Nice. Uh, so we've been doing it a, a pretty long time, but yeah, I got into it just by working at a local one and then branching out on my own. Awesome. And your book mentions something that's super interesting to me. It said, you know, you dropped out of high school, yep. didn't go to college, but this is a business that, you know, you've been in for 20 plus years, have your own source for 15 mm -hmm. and you're doing pretty well. Yeah, man. That's, you know what, one of the reasons that I wanted to write a book like this was, like, I don't really have a big educational background. I didn't go to college, um, didn't go to any business classes. So it was kind of all learning on the fly for me in business, like um, just learn, trial and error, learning as I go. I wish that back then I had something like this where, you know, I could say I want to open a business, but don't have a degree. Um, maybe there's something out there that could help me. And maybe there was, but, you know, that was 20 years ago. So there's there's no high-speed internet. You had to go to the library or or use your dollar modem that takes eight years to load a page to, yeah. <laughs> to find out any info on anything, man. So I just wanted to get a book like this in the hands of people who are kind of in a similar situation who, you know, they want to open a business, but maybe they're past the point in their lives where, where they can go get a degree. And you don't, you don't have to have a degree. That's the, that's the beautiful thing about opening a business. You know, if you have the business sense and acumen and you want to, to make something of yourself and open a business, you can do it. You just need the right guidance along the way. Awesome, man. This book goes through so many great, great, uh, you know, gold nuggets uh, of information that you give of your of your pawn history. Now, just let everyone know where you are and, and how much interest you guys charge in that state and what the whole period is. So we're in two states. We have um, four stores in Virginia because our stores are all kind of along the, the VA NC border. So we have four in Virginia. And there, um, if you add up interest and fees, we're generally around 13% per month. So it's not too bad. Um, 
Carolina does this a little better. There's a 60-day hold in Virginia. Um, North Carolina, we do 90-day holds, but we get 22% interest there. Gotcha. We have three stores there. And 13% isn't too bad, man. I'm from California, so we were making, you know, 3 4%. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, to we were like 3 to 5%. I don't, know. I don't know how you guys make it. That volume, man. We, we were doing tons of ponds a day, large loan balances, but... Uh, but thank you for sharing that. So let's let's go into it. Let's go into the book. Let's go into what you learned. You've got 33 employees um, and probably adding more and more uh, as this uh, podcast is out. Um, the book goes into three sections. It's like the toddler phase of business, the teenager phase of business, and the adult stage of business. In the toddler phase, you talk about going all in, building trust from day one, and being different to stand out. So give us you know, some some views on that and how you did that in the pawn shop to go all in, build trust from day one and be different from the competition so that you have the success that you have today? Yeah, so basically, through what I've learned over the years, I, I kind of saw my business grow through the three phases you talked about. Like when you first open up, um, and you know this, because you just had a baby yourself, it's kind of like you have this little baby and you have to be there with it all the time. And it depends on you for its existence and you have to hold its hand through everything. And, uh, you know, for the first two or three years of my business, that's what it was. I was there all day, every day, on the floor, waiting on customers, writing loans, just doing the hands-on stuff. Um, and then eventually, business grows, and you can hire a couple of employees, and you, you kind of transition into a teenage phase where um, it doesn't need you quite as much, but it's not as mature as it needs to be. It still needs some guidance. You still need to be there with it. And then last, towards the end of the book, we talk about the adult phase, which to me happened when we started expanding and hiring more people. And when, when you don't need to be there, when, when your business can, can make it without you and you can branch off into other things. But as far as the toddler stage goes, um, some of the main things to me were, I'd been in the pawn business a long time before. And, you know, the pawn business, just like any other business, has changed so much in the past 20 years with with the advent of the internet and social media, that you can't do business the same way that you used to. Like it kind of used to be that a pawn shop, you could open the doors and customers came in, right? They need, the they, need, they need money, they're gonna, they're gonna come in. That anymore, because you've got all this social media that as soon as a customer leaves your store, they can go on Facebook and they can tell everybody about what happened in your store. And that can make or break your reputation. And that's a huge deal. So to me, the first few years of business, I wanted to focus on building those relationships with customers where I knew that they were giving us positive word of mouth reinforcement to all their friends. I wanted every experience when they came in the store to be a positive one. And I wanted, I told my team members early on when we started hiring people to look at every transaction, not just as a transaction. This is an opportunity for you to build a relationship with the, with this customer that's going to lead us to, to do business for years and years and years. It's not about the one transaction. It's about building trust in people and developing relationships so that you can do business with these customers for years to come and they never want to go anywhere else. Cool. Which, which also kind of leads into the, that you have to be different. Something, something about your business has to stand out, right? Even if you're not a pawn shop, if you're, if you want to open a coffee shop, something about you has to be different from the coffee shop down the road, whether that's, you're going to be at a cheaper price point, or you're going to have a cooler area to hang out, or you're going to have a better product, better coffee, whatever business you want to be in, something has to set you apart from your competition. Something has to give them reason to come to you and not go anywhere else. So for us, 
that was, hey, these guys, they want to build relationships with us. They want, they, they empathize with us. They know that they, that, that, that we need them. They want to help us. They don't want to just look at us as customers that they can make a buck off of. So how did you, and I totally agree with that. I think it's, it's num- one of the number one things a pawn shop needs to do is build that relationship. How did you kind of disseminate that to your, to your team that that's so important to you? So the, uh, the main way to do that is just old fashioned doing it yourself. So they see that you're doing it. Like when we hire people, it's hands-on training. So they're watching the people that have been trained before them. It's kind of a practice what you, pe- what you preach kind of thing. Like if I'm going to tell you, hey, customer service is very important to us. That's one thing. But if they're going to watch me talking to every customer that comes in, not just robotically talking to them like at Walmart, not like a, hey, how you doing? Let me know if I can help you. But actually getting into a conversation with people and getting to know them um, on an individual basis and showing them that you're there for them and you care about them. So then when the employees see that you're doing that as a leader in a management role, then it goes far beyond just telling them to do it when they see that you do it and that it works and that you believe in it. And it sets the culture, really sets the culture for your company. Yeah. I mean, I, I see it as if you're the owner or the manager of the business and you treat someone like crap, you've now given permission for all your employees to treat them like crap. Right. Every time. And, yeah. and that's, what, that's what they're going to do when you're not there and you need to do other stuff. They're going to do what you did when they saw you do it. Yeah. And it's just a leading by example kind of thing, which is the best way to lead. Love it. And, and so you go from the toddler stage, you know, you've, you go all in, you build the trust and you, and you stand out. And then the book goes into the teenager stage. And the first part of the teenager stage is hiring the right people. Now in the Pawn Leaders podcast community and the questions I ask people, one of the hardest things or one of the most difficult things that they experience is bringing on the right people. We actually had a conversation about this today in the mastermind group when somebody said, I'm afraid because people are going to steal. And my, my response was, if you're going to be afraid, you're never going to grow, right? You can't just be fearful. You have to train properly. So how did you, Jason, hire the right people and train them properly so that they had your back when growing the culture and giving that customer service? Man, hiring people is just trial by fire. <laughs> it's, it's one of my least favorite parts uh, because you've got, you sit down with interviews for people and you really never know if the person that you're setting in an interview with is going to be the person that shows up on Monday morning. Right. We've had people with stellar resumes that come in and kill an interview and they get on the floor and they're not good with people. Right. And you can't have that in, in your company or they can't keep a cash drawer. Um, so you can't, it's kind of a gut feeling thing. Like I get into interviews and I talk to people and I get a sense for what kind of person they are, uh, because there's a lot of things you can train, uh, but there's some things you can train and you never know what kind of person is going to show up compared to the resume. But there's a flip side to that. Also, uh, one of my best employees, I talk about him in the book. He's been with me for 12 years. Uh, he's a guy that you wouldn't really hire if you sat down for an interview with him. He, um, he has no education. He, is kind of clumsy. He doesn't really have his stuff together. He's kind of all socially awkward, but man, he busts his ass every day. And he is just stellar at customer service and customers love him, man. When, when customers come in, there could be a line of people and they'll just wait at his terminal to talk to him instead of going to somebody else because he's a rock star. Um, he's, he's one of those guys that's just, and you have to be able to do this in customer service. He can put anything to the side that's happening in his life and just focus on the customer. That's, and that's what, that's, that's what sets good customer service 
apart from bad customer service, really, because anybody can give good customer service when they're in a good mood. Like if you're having a great day and you want to talk to somebody, you know, it's awesome. But what about when your baby cried all night? Or what about when you and your wife or girlfriend are fighting? Can you put that aside and can you come in and just pretend like that doesn't now my job is to help you solve your problems. And I need to put my problems to the side. And, and that's what he is great at. You so finding, finding the right people is just a kind of an on the job, fly by night, try by air thing. So I, I want to mention two quick things. And I, I agree with you on episode 34, Scott Wintrip. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, listen to it basically says that you have to always be hiring consistently. You can't just be hiring when you need somebody because that person might not show up when you need them. The other thing I want to mention is that my father always taught us in the pawn business. He said, you go, when you go into the store, you got to leave your heart outside. So whatever emotions you got, whatever you're angry at, whatever, you know, the customer deserves the best of you. Not a lot of people can't do that. Yeah. Um, A lot of people can't do that. And that's why not everyone's cut out for customer service. And especially in the pawn business, you know, a lot of people that, a lot of people that come in our door don't really want to be coming in our door. They don't, they don't really want to come in and pawn their TV or their necklace. So it's up to us to, to put them at ease and solve their problem in the best way possible. Yeah. And that's what, that's what makes somebody really good at, at, at customer service when they can put that stuff to the side. Yeah. And, and doing that, you know, you talk about the next point, which is become a leader. And I think that's all about leadership as well. Being able to put your emotions aside and your ego aside to be able to deal with the situation at hand. How does, how did you become a leader? What was the process that you said, man, I, I need to level up my leadership because I've got these businesses, I've got these employees. Um, what was that process like for you learning now, leadership? It was kind of weird for me. Um, when we opened our first store, I didn't hire anybody for two years. Um, I worked floor all day, every day by myself, trying to build my customer base, build my loan balance. Um, the main reason I did that is because I didn't want to put someone else's life at risk. I didn't want to offer someone a job and then we didn't make it and um, it'd be my fault. So I wanted to make sure that we were stable enough to hire someone. So when I first hired someone, I hired two people and they were both older than me because when I opened the store, I was, I guess, 25. So I probably hired somebody when I was 26 or 27. Very first person, people I hired were um, in their 30s or 40s. So suddenly I'm thrown into, I'm not just running my pawn shop, but I need to lead these people. Not only do I need to lead these people, but they're older than me. So that throws another wrench into the situation. So it's a very delicate balance, but still that goes back to leading by example is the best way to do it. Like no matter what I tell them, it's going to be better if I show them what we're going to do. Um, and yeah, the ego thing is a big deal too. You have to know that in order to lead a team, you got to be willing to take a step back and it's not all about you anymore. Yeah. And I think especially like you come from, you know, a place that you said that, you know, you don't have a college education, but that's not what leadership is. Leadership is day to day showing people what to do the way you want them to do it, doing it right, doing it with integrity. You have to remind yourself every day that you are the human example of what you want your company to be. You are, you embody what you want your company to be. So if you come to work and you're not ready to lead and you're not ready to have good customer service, then your business is going to reflect that. So it's, it's on you to pass down to your employees, how to, how you, how you want them to interact with your customers and how you want them to lead themselves on the sales floor. Yeah. I need to say this again. You said you are the human example of what you want your company to be. Yeah, and I absolutely. want the people listening to like really take that in. It's important. You right. are the culture. Right. 
you are the customer service. You know, a lot of our stores are in smaller, smaller areas. So when we go out in public, people are going to recognize us. So you, you're, you're not only the face of your business when you're in your business, you're the face of your business when you're outside of it too. Because you're going to see customers, we see customers out at restaurants and stuff, and you have to handle yourself just as well out there as you do in the store. And I tell that to my team members also. You're not just representing our brand when you're in the store, you're representing our brand at all times. Yeah, yeah. I agree, especially when they're wearing that shirt, right? You know, make sure that they don't, that they're just good people all around. So. Yeah. In the, in the teenage stage, you go to the next part. You go from becoming a leader to staying abreast of the competition. What do you mean by that? And is it like knowing exactly what they're doing? Is it, you know, some people's secret shop competition. Some people are always focused on their competition. What's your take on knowing what your competition's doing? So I always tell my team, I like this, this saying a lot about competition, is that we need to know what the competition is doing but we don't need to obsess with it because every minute that we worry about what they're doing is a minute that we could be better doing what we need to do, right? Every business, whether it's, it's in our industry or anything, is going to have competition. Um, it, it can be frustrating. It, it, and a lot of people perceive it to be negative, but it's really not. It's, it's not a bad thing. It can do wonders for your business. It can motivate you. It can light a fire under you to do better. Um, you know, some of the locales we're in, we deal with, um, you and I were talking earlier about, national chains and how the, the corporate chains are coming in. So in some places we, we deal with them and in some places we deal with just little mom and pop stores. So the main thing is just to stay abreast and know what's going on, but don't obsess over it too much because then you lose focus on what you need to be doing on a daily basis. Because as long as you're doing the right thing, you're going to be fine. Competition is yeah. not going to bother you, but don't be frustrated that there is competition because it's always going to be that way. And I think it makes us better people when we're, when we're have competition around. It makes yeah, you up your game, right? Cool. Yeah. Then, so then we go from the teenage stage to the adult stage. And before we go to the adult stage, because that's about building your circle, ready for expansion, embrace uh, your evolving role. I want to ask you, what's been the hardest part of growing the business? The hardest part of growing, expanding, and opening more stores is finding the right people. Finding good people. Because at that point, you need people who aren't just pawnbrokers, who aren't just good at waiting on customers and new customers, customer service. We grew into hiring people that we have our own internet sales department. So we have people behind the scenes just selling stuff on eBay, Craigslist and things like that. We have our own in-house HR, where the girls that do the payroll and, and pay the bills. So branching out into that, and not only that, but also finding people that, I call them your circle. You need to have a circle of people kind of right with you that goes down a chain of command. And it's hard to find those people. That was the hardest part about expanding, finding people that you know have the same um, motivation that you have and the same work ethic, work ethic that, that they're going to do things the way you would do them when you're not around. So when you talk about uh, build your circle, you're talking about basically building that team around you that's got your back, that, that thinks like you do, that uh, respects the company like you do and who wants the best for the company so that they can take care of that chain of command, correct? Right, right. Awesome, cool. And so uh, then you go into ready for expansion and you embrace your evolving role. What does embrace your evolving role mean? That was a really hard part for me too because my favorite part, and I've been in this business for 20 years, like I said, my favorite part is being on the front line and writing loans, talking to customers. I don't get to do that as much anymore. Like my role becomes more of a 
CEO kind of behind the scenes taking care of and setting vision for the whole company um, rather than just waiting on the customers. So your role has to go from being that frontline guy to being the person who puts out the fires, right? Like I'm the guy that, that, that gets called when something is wrong. Like I don't get to just sit around writing loans, which is my favorite part. I'd rather be doing that than, but I have to embrace the fact that I can't do that anymore, that I have to set the vision for the company and set goals for the managers and all the behind the scenes stuff that people don't really see. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that pawnbrokers do after they hire their team is they micromanage and they can't embrace that evolving role. So they're still writing loans. They're not sitting doing the vision, the mission, and they're kind of getting in everyone's way as opposed to orchestrating. And if you micromanage, micromanage, you're basically telling your management team that you don't think they're doing it right. Yeah, you don't trust them, yeah. I still need to hold your hand through this. Um, You're not giving them the ability to make the mistakes on their own and learn from them. And we believe in that a lot. You know, if a manager makes a mistake, we've never fired anyone for making a mistake. You know, fake gold is bought or broken items or anything like that. We use them as teaching techniques rather than getting upset and coming down on someone. We, we just sit down and talk to them, tell them why that was a mistake and make sure it doesn't happen again in the future. So you've been in the game for 20 years. What would you say, like a word of advice to somebody who's starting out, is five years in, is 10 years in, what's a word of advice that you would give them to be able to, you know, make it to, to the level that you're at or, or to not make a mistake? What's something that you would tell them? The most yeah, important- You would tell yourself looking back. Yeah, well, the most important thing I would say goes back to customer service. It's, and I tell my team this, I want you to interact with every customer as if as soon as they leave, they're gonna go right on the internet and they're gonna post on their Facebook and on Yelp and on Google all these avenues of that where they can talk about your business. I want you to pretend that they're going to do that as soon as they leave. So that puts in the back of your mind that you need to do this the right way every single time because, and it's weird because that's also a two way street. You, you can have, you can give really good customer service to a hundred people. 99 of the people are going to just be like, wow, that was cool. The one person that you piss off and don't do right is the person that's going to go in there and leave the bad review, right? Yeah, of course. So, so you got to have it in the back of your mind every single time that you have to do the right thing. Yeah. And you have to be—you have to solve people's problems. Everybody that comes in the pawn shop has a problem. They don't want to come in and pawn their jewelry, but they—they they have to. They're in a situation where they have to. So you need to take care of their problem and help them and empathize with them. It's—it's—it's it's, it's really. It's nothing more than just treating people the way you want to be treated. If you do that, then your business is going to succeed. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that you just said was empathize with people. You know, people come in with so many problems. And when I was on the front lines writing pawns, it was very hard for me to realize that people needed $5 or $10 to get yeah, to work, to pay for I diapers, you, say that. Yeah. you know, formula. So if you're going to be rude to them, you're just going to make their day crappier. If you, if you can empathize to say, hey, man, these people need this five, 10 bucks. I'm going to try to do it. I don't want to go above and beyond what I can't pay. But I got to be nice. And once you do that, that's what grows business. And you have to just put yourself in their shoes, man. Like what if, I mean, you know, the pawn business stereotypically gets a bad rap sometimes about stolen stuff or whatever, but 99% of the time we're helping a single mother buy diapers or we're helping a senior citizen pay their utility bill until they get their check the first of the month. Like really we're providing a service to people that they can't get elsewhere. You know, these people that need $200 to help pay the rent, you can't go to a bank and get that, right? You can't go anywhere else and, and get a loan without checking your credit. 
in, in a, you go to a pawn shop. So when they do that, I mean, it's really hard to lose sight of just how much you're helping people and what a service you're providing to the community. And people overlook that part of the pawn business and it really is. And it makes your career more rewarding. Like you're not just out there making a buck. You're out, you're making a difference. You're helping people. Yeah. And what comes to mind is that there are some customers who might lie about what's going on with them, but don't make that the basis for everybody. Right. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So Jason, I mean, this, is, this has been know, awesome, man. Go it's, ahead. it's a service like any other service. Some people are going to try to take advantage of it, but you get, you, you've got to get in the mindset of focusing on the people that you're helping every single day and that you're making a difference in your community. So where do you see, Jason, where do you see Riverside Pond in five years? We're going to shoot to be at 10 to 12 stores in five years. Um, we've got a couple of other projects that we're starting on. Um, we've thought about setting up a, a consulting business um, after the book and, and, and consulting newer pawn shops on, on just some of the things that we've learned over the years, you know, kind of the, just the frontline stuff like customer service and lead, leadership and things like that. Um, so I think we'll be 10, 12 stores in, in five years and just still doing the same things that we're doing and, and teaching the same stuff that we're teaching right now. Awesome. Guys, those of you who are listening, go to Amazon right now. Obviously, please don't be doing it while you're driving. Check out Jason's book, Brick and Mortar Isn't Dead. It's very seldom a pawnbroker in the industry writes a book. And if a pawnbroker writes a book, I think you should pick it up and read it. It's worth a read, especially one who's been in the business for 20 years, has seven stores, uh, it has a successful operation. You can learn something, uh, if not a lot, from this person. So, Jason, thank you so much for being on the podcast, brother. Big all. Thanks, man. Yeah, and for those of you Pawn family, thanks for listening. Once again, if you want to chat with me, go to pawnleaders.com. Uh, it's a 30-minute conversation. I don't charge you for it. I just want to connect with you, say thank you for being a listener, and go to the Facebook group, Pawn Leaders Podcast Community. Jason, wish you the best, and thanks for your time. Thank you.